Chapter thirty four of Marriage, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Marriage, Volume One by Susan Edmonstone Ferrier. Chapter thirty four. Having a tongue as rough as a cat, and biting like an adder, and all their reproofs are direct scoldings, their common intercourse is open contumely. Jeremy Taylor. Though last, not least, of nature's works, I must now introduce you to a friend of mine, said Mr. Douglas, as, the bailey having made his bow, they bent their steps towards the castle hill. Mrs. Violet McShake is an aunt of my mother's, whom you must often have heard of, and the last remaining branch of the noble race of Gurnagal. I am afraid she is rather a formidable person, then, said Mary. Her uncle hesitated. No, not formidable only rather particular as all old people are but she is very good-hearted i understand in other words she is very disagreeable all ill-tempered people i observe have the character of being good-hearted or else all good people are ill-tempered i can't tell which it is more than reputation with her said mr douglas somewhat angrily for she is in reality a very good-hearted woman as i experienced when a boy at college Many a crown piece and half guinea I used to get from her. Many a scold, to be sure, went along with them. But that, I dare say, I deserved. Besides, she is very rich, and I am her reputed heir. Therefore, gratitude and self-interest combined to render her extremely amiable in my estimation. They had now reached the airy dwelling where Mrs. McShake resided, and having rung, the door was at length most deliberately opened by an ancient, sour-visaged, long-waisted female, who ushered them into an apartment, the coup d'oeil of which struck a chill to Mary's heart. It was a good-sized room, with a bare sufficiency of small-legged dining-tables, and lank-haircloth chairs ranged in high order round the walls. Although the season was advanced, and the air piercing cold, the grate stood smiling in all the charms of polished steel, and the mistress of the mansion was seated by the side of it in an armchair, still in its summer position. She appeared to have no other occupation than what her own meditations afforded, for a single glance sufficed to show that not a vestige of book or work was harbored there. She was a tall, large-boned woman, whom even time's iron hands scarcely bent, as she merely stooped at the shoulders. She had a drooping, snuffy nose, a long, turned-up chin, small, quick gray eyes, and her face projected far beyond her figure, with an expression of shrewd, restless curiosity. She wore a mode, not a la mode, bonnet, and cardinal of the same, a pair of clogs over her shoes, and black silk mittens on her arms. As soon as she recognized Mr. Douglas, she welcomed him with much cordiality, shook him long and heartily by the hand, patted him on the back, looked into his face with much seeming satisfaction, and, in short, gave all the demonstrations of gladness usual with gentlewomen of a certain age. Her pleasure, however, appeared to be rather an impromptu than an habitual feeling, for as the surprise wore off, her visage resumed its harsh and sarcastic expression, and she seemed eager to efface any agreeable impression her reception might have excited. "'And what thought o' seeing ye, Inow?' said she, in a quick, gabbling voice. "'What brought you to the toon? 
are ye come to spend our honest feather's siller ere his will called in his grave poor man mr douglas explained that it was upon account of his niece's health health repeated she with a sardonic smile it would make an owl laugh to hear the wark that's made aboot young folk's health nowadays i wonder what ye're made o' grasping mary's arm in her great bony hand a ween poor feckless windlestress ye maun away to england for your health set ye up i wonder what came o the lasses in my time that boot to bide at home and will go ye i should like to ken ye'll e'er leave to see ninety-six like me health he he mary glad of a pretence to indulge the mirth the old lady's manner and appearance had excited joined most heartily in the laugh take off your bonnet bairn and let me see your face who can tell what like ye are wi that snoolo a thing on your head then after taking an accurate survey of her face she pushed aside her police well it's a mercy i see ye hae neither the red heed nor the muckle coats o the douglases i ken nae whether your father had them or no I ne'er set e'en on him, neither him nor his braw leddy thought it worth their while to spear after me, but I was at nae loss, by all accounts. You have not asked after any of your Glenfern friends, said Mr. Douglas, hoping to touch a more sympathetic chord. Time enough. Will you let me draw my breath, man? Folk canna say aw thing at once, and ye boot to hae an English wife, too. A Scotch lass would nae sair ye and your ween i's warrant it's one o the world's wonders it's been uncon long a comin he 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 has begun life under very melancholy auspices poor fellow said mr douglas in allusion to his father's death and was fought was that i ne'er heard tell the like o it to hae the bairn christened and his grandfather dyin but folk are neither born nor christened nor do they water dee as they used to do all things changed you must indeed have witnessed many changes observed mr douglas rather at a loss how to utter anything of a conciliatory nature changes weel a wat i sometimes wonder if it's the same world and if it's my ain head that's upon my shoulders but with these changes you must also have seen many improvements said mary in a tone of diffidence improvements turning sharply round upon her what ken ye about improvements bairn a bonny improvement or in snow to see tyliers and sclatters livin where i mind jukes and yearls and that great glowerin new toon there pointing out of her windows where i used to sit and look out at bonny green parks and see the coos milt and the bits o bairnies rowin and tumblin and the lassies trampin in their tubs what see i know but stone and lime and store and dirt and idle chills and dinked out madams prancin improvements indeed mary found she was not likely to advance her uncle's fortune by the judiciousness of her remarks therefore prudently resolved to hazard no more mr douglas who was more au fait to the prejudices of old age and who was always amused with her bitter remarks when they did not touch himself encouraged her to continue the conversation by some observation on the prevailing manners manners repeated she with a contemptuous laugh what ca ye manners new for i dinna ken i'll ken gangs bang in till their neighbour's hoose and bang out it as it were a change house 
and as for the maister o it he is no o se muckle value as the flunkey ahind his chair in my grandfather's time as i hae heard him tell like a maister o a family had his own sate in his own house ay and sat wi his hat on his head afore the best o the land and had his own dish and was i helped first and kept up his authority as a man should do parents were parents then bairns dared na say up their gabs afore them then as they do noo they ne'er presumed to say their heads war their own in they days wife and servants retainers and childer all trembled at the presence o their heid here a long pinch of snuff caused a pause in the old lady's harangue but after having duly wiped her nose with her coloured handkerchief and shook off all the particles that might be presumed to have lodged upon her cardinal she resumed and no word o any o your sisters going to get husbands yet they tell me they're but coarse lasses and what'll take ill fard torturless queen when there's a wealth o bonny faces and long purses in the market he he then resuming her scrutiny of mary and i's warrin ye'll be lookin for an english sweetheart too that'll be what's takin ye away to england on the contrary said mr douglas seeing mary was too much frightened to answer for herself on the contrary mary declares she will never marry any but a true highlander one who wears the dirk and plaid and has the second sight and the nuptials are to be celebrated with all the pomp of feudal times with bagpipes and bonfires and gathering of clans and roasted sheep and barrels of whisky and weel a wat and she's in the right there interrupted mrs mcshake with more complacency than she had yet shown they may ca them what they like but there's nae weddins no what's the better o them but innkeepers and chase drivers i would nae count myself married in the hidlands way they gang about it new i dare say you remember these things done in a very different style said mr douglas i dinna mind them when the war at the best but i hae heard my mither tell what a bonny ploy was at her weddin i canna tell ye how many was at it mar nor the room would haud ye may be sure for every relation and friend o both sides were there as well they should and all in full dress the leddies in their hoops round them and some of them had sitten up all night to have their heids dressed for they had na the pocket-like taps ye had now looking with contempt at mary's grecian contour and the bride's gown was all showed o'er with favour from the top down to the tail and all round the neck and about the sleeves and as soon as the ceremony was o'er ilcon ran to her and rugget and rave at her for the favours till they hardly left the clothes upon her back then they did not run away as they do now but six and ready o them sat down to a grand dinner and there was a ball at night and alka night till sabbath came round and then the bride and the bridegroom dressed in their wedding suits and all their friends and theirs with their favours on their breasts walked in procession to the kirk and was na that something like a weddin it was worth while to be married in those days he he the wedding seems to have been admirably conducted said mr douglas with much solemnity the christening i presume would be the next distinguished event in the family troth archie and ye should keep your thumb upon christenings as long as ye live 
yours was a bonny christenin or in snow i had heard o mony things but a bairn christened when its grandfather was in the dead thraw i ne'er heard tell o before then observing the indignation that spread over mr douglas's face she quickly resumed and so ye think the christenin was the nicest ploy he na the cryin was a ploy for the ladies did not keep themselves up then as they do now but the day after the bairn was born the lady set up in her bed wi her fan into her hand and all her friends earned and stood round her and drank her health in the bairns then at the lady's recovery there was a grand supper gin that they called the cummerfrails and there was a great pyramid o hens at the top of the table and another pyramid o ducks at the foot and a muckle stoop full o' posset in the middle and all kinds o' sweeties doon the sides and as soon as ilkon had eaten their fill they a flew till the sweeties and fought and strove and wrestled for them ladies and gentlemen and all for the brag was what could pocket most and whiles they would have the cloth off the table and a thing in the middle of the floor and the chairs upside doon Ooh, muckle good diversion i's warren was at the cummerfails then when they had drank the stoop dry that ended the ploy as for the kirsnin that was i war it should be in the house o god and all the kith and kin by in full dress and a band o maiden crimmers all in white and a bonny sight it was as i've heard my mither tell mr douglas who was now rather tired of the old lady's reminiscences availed himself of the opportunity of a fresh pinch to rise and take leave oh what's taken you away archie in sitka hurry sit down there laying her hand upon his arm and rest ye and take a glass of wine and a bit of braid or maybe turning to mary ye would rather hae a drap broth to warm ye what gars ye luck siblay bairn i'm sure it's no cold but you're just like the lave ye gone a skiltin about the streets half naked and then ye mun sit in a burstal yourselves afore the fire at home she had now shuffled along to the farther end of the room and opening a press took out wine and a plateful of various shaped articles of bread which she handed to mary hey bairn take a cookie take it up what are you afeard for it'll no bite ye here's to ye glenfern and your wife and your ween poor teed it's no had a very chancy outset we'll await the wine being drunk and the cookies discussed mr douglas made another attempt to withdraw but in vain canna ye sit still a wee man and let me spear after my auld friends at glenfern how's grizzy and jacky and nicky i workin away at the pills and the drogs he he i ne'er swallowed a pill nor guide a doit for drogs all my days and see on any o them will run a race wid me when they're ne'er five score mr douglas here paid her some compliments upon her appearance which were pretty graciously received and added that he was the bearer of a letter from his aunt grizzy which he would send along with a roebuck and brace of moor-game kin your roebuck's nay better than your last it weel it's no worth the sendin poor dry fishinless dirt no worth the chowing well await i've a grudge my teeth on it your mere fowl was na that ill but they're no worth the carrion they're done cheap in the market and o so it's nay great compliment gin ye had brought me a leg o' good mutton or a collar saw mot there would have been some sense in it 
but you're on all the folk that'll ne'er harry yourself wi your presence it's but the pickle prother they cost you and i's warrin you're thinkin' mail o your ain diversion than o my stomach when you're at the shootin' o them poor beasts mr douglas had borne the various indignities levelled against himself and his family with a philosophy that had no parallel in his life before but to this attack upon his game he was not proof his colour rose his eyes flashed fire and something resembling an oath burst from his lips as he strode indignantly towards the door his friend however was too nimble for him she stepped before him and breaking into a discordant laugh as she patted him on the back so i see you're just the old man archie i ready to take the strums and ye dinna get a thing your ain why money a time i had to fleet ye out o the dorts when ye was a callant div you mind who ye was affronted because i set ye down to a cold pigeon pie and a tanker o' tippany a night to your fower horse afore some ladies he 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 will await your wife mon hae here and us to manage ye for you're a comstary child archie mr douglas still looked as if he was irresolute whether to laugh or be angry come come sit ye down on there till i speak to this bairn said she as she pulled mary into an adjoining bedchamber which wore the same aspect of chilly neatness as the one they had quitted then pulling a huge bunch of keys from her pocket she opened a drawer out of which she took a pair of diamond earrings hey bairn said she as she stuffed them into mary's hand they belonged to your father's grandmother she was a good woman and had four-and-twenty sons and daughters and i wish ye ne'er were fortin than just to hay as money but mind ye with a shake of her bony finger they maun be scots gin i thought ye would marry only pockbudden firehead wad ye gotten fra me no hold your tongue and dunna dive me with thanks almost pushing her into the parlour again and sin you're gone away in the morn i'll see no more ye no so fare ye will but archie ye maun come and take your breakfast wi me i hae muckle to say to you but ye mauna be so hard upon my baps as ye used to be with a facetious grin to her mollified favourite as they shook hands and parted well how do you like mrs mcshake mary asked her uncle as they walked home that is a cruel question uncle answered she with a smile my gratitude and my taste are at such variance displaying her splendid gift that i know not how to reconcile them that is always the case with those whom mrs mcshake has obliged returned mr douglas she does many liberal things but in so ungracious a manner that people are never sure whether they are obliged or insulted by her but the way in which she receives kindness is still worse could anything equal her impertinence about my roebuck faith i've got a good mind never to enter her door again mary could scarcely preserve her gravity at her uncle's indignation which seemed so disproportioned to the cause but to turn the current of his ideas she remarked that he had certainly been at pains to select two admirable specimens of her countrywomen for her i don't think i shall soon forget either mrs galfaw or mrs mcshake said she laughing i hope you won't carry away the impression that these two lusus naturae specimens of scotchwomen said her uncle the former indeed is rather a sort of weed that infests every soil the latter to be sure is an indigenous plant i question if she would have arrived at such perfection in a more cultivated field or genial clime she was born at a time when scotland was very different from what it is now female education was little attended to even in families of the highest rank consequently 
the ladies of those days possess a raciness in their manners and ideas that we should vainly seek for in this age of cultivation and refinement had your time permitted you could have seen much good society here superior perhaps to what is to be found anywhere else as far as mental cultivation is concerned but you will have leisure for that when you return mary acquiesced with a sigh return was to her still a melancholy sounding word it reminded her of all she had left of the anguish of separation the dreariness of absence and all these painful feelings were renewed in their utmost bitterness when the time approached for her to bid adieu to her uncle lord courtland's carriage and two respectable-looking servants awaited her and the following morning she commenced her journey in all the agony of a heart that fondly clings to its native home End of volume one End of Marriage Volume one by Susan Edmonstone Ferrier Recording by Patty Cunningham